Hey, Greyhounds. Welcome back to Coach Beard's Book Club. This is Bex, bringing you another bonus episode. This time we have Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. The audio for this episode comes from Makayla's original iteration of the book club that was only available on YouTube. Until now. As with Dharma Bums, you will notice that while Marita, Andrea, and I are not speaking, we have sent in our thoughts on the book, many of which Makayla shares with you throughout the episode. I personally adore Sam Obisanya over any other character in the show, and so I was very interested when we decided to do this book. While I didn't fully love it or anything, there are some great connections that we were able to make with Ted Lasso, Sam, and some of the other characters and events that take place in the show. I saw the book as a good fit for Sam at the beginning of the book, but my opinion definitely changed as it went on. Ender and Sam may have some similarities, but they really are so different from one another in very important ways. After listening, please feel free to drop by our Twitter account, at Beards Book Club, and let us know what you thought about the episode. We love hearing from you and engaging with you over there. Anyway, I'm going to wrap up and leave you to listen to our thoughts from this episode on Ender's Game. Yeah, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. back to Coach Beard's Book Club or if you're new here, welcome. Please don't forget to subscribe and if you enjoy the video, drop a like on it for me. So, we're going to be looking at Ender's Game and this is a book that Ted gave to Sam. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how that unfolds and how it relates to Sam's journey. First, let's start with the problematic shit and I cannot wait for a book where we don't have to do this, but unfortunately, this is not one of them. Andrea says, much better read than the Dharma Bums, but definitely some problematic issues. Less misogynistic in general, but there was damn near no women in it. Yeah, it's hard to sort of show your misogyny when there's no women there to example it. <laughs> also, a couple of scenes showing ethnicity while he was meeting people in his training were so cringeworthy. Like, I had to reread them several times because I couldn't believe it was in print. Yeah, same. Um, she said, overall better, but still problematic. I definitely agree with Andrea. Uh, page 62, for example, which quite frankly, I'm not going to read. Um, if you've got the book, you can look it up yourself. It reads like a bigoted white man putting slurs in Asian and black characters' mouths just so that you could use the slurs. That's, uh, cringeworthy is probably the best way to describe it, Andrea. But Card is a higher level of bigot than white girl misappropriating AAVE on TikTok. Uh, no, he goes a bit further than that. He's anti-gay marriage and a rampant bigot. Um, which is strange considering in the many ways that you could read this book. There's definitely queer readings in there for me, so that's a strange one. And I asked Marita for help with this because I didn't trust my own sort of instincts on it. My question was simple. It was sort of this. Does anyone get a little bit of a gay vibe? 
But Marita directed me to this article, which brings up examples of how plot elements in Card's fiction really contradict the explicit claims he makes in his non-fiction antique writing. And culminates in the final paragraph, Card's fiction provides a more nuanced and tolerant response to homosexuality than his more direct social commentary. This is, I think, in part, the least of what the, gen the genre of sci-fi is for. It's really interesting. It's, it's a strange one, really. Marita made a further excellent point about the term bugger, which I think it might be wise to sort of differentiate here. She says, One thing that's germane to Lasso in the piece I just sent you, the author argues that Card absolutely understands the connotations of the term bugger. And I think that's true, she says. But really isn't how the word is used in America, Marita points out. She says if you were to ask the average person from the Midwest what it meant, you'd probably get a definition very similar to rascal. And yeah, that is, that's true for here as well, to be honest. Um, somebody, calling somebody a bugger is more like they're a nuisance, a, a, you know, like an inconvenience or, or something like that. Um, or they're just in general a rascal. But yeah, the word does have other connotations in this country when um, spoken about in regards to um, homophobia and homosexuality in general. Now, Marita did point out something really interesting, and it was in the um, intro that Card wrote in her text of the book. She says, Card talks about how the real meaning in his book is effectively, and she's paraphrasing, but effectively a collaboration between him and the reader. How it's something he and each reader construct together. He's so dangerously close to getting the point, given where he takes the book at the end. That's hard to square with his actual clearly stated and atrocious politics. I think that's spot on. Right, so now we have that out of the way, let's talk about the fun stuff. Firstly, the similarities and differences between Ender and Sam, personality-wise and journey-wise. So let's dig in. Andrea says, The story was much more engaging. I cared about the characters. I felt empathy for Ender and some of the other kids. What a bleak existence, feeling your only worth is to save the entire human race at what? 11, 12 years old? The problem, these buggers felt so intense, it felt like everyone, their entire existence, was to destroy these aliens. It was so over the top in that sense. I felt the pressure, but also at times was like, wait, what's the big deal? Maybe I read it wrong, but it seems like the buggers attacked, then went away for a very long time. That I agree, yeah. I mean, they seemed to be like, was it revenge more than it was self-protection? I agree, and I felt at some points as well the pacing was was really off. Like, the, obviously the surprise battle where he think Ender thinks he's just doing this big sort of test, and it turns out to be like Ender actually saving the world from the buggers. Um, that was weird to me. It just kind of almost had to go back and reread it because I was like, "What? Wait, what just happened?" And then at the end we have some sort of like. Well, Deborah says it best. Like clunky exposition, they leave very little to the imagination. And sort of explaining everything that had happened from the point of view of somebody we barely really connected with on, on any sort of a level where we respected or liked the character. It is strange. But anyway, Andrea goes on to say, Why was this such an obsession to destroy them? At the same time, I understand how devastating this all was. It just felt slightly off. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't feel the urgency they were trying to portray, exactly. I felt so sad for everyone. What a waste of a life. They were all so obsessed with the buggers and the potential of what they might do. I almost felt like the buggers went off to live their lives and didn't give us a second thought. But here we are raising children only to make them killers. It felt so sad. I was so sad reading this. Yeah, the, the morality is very strange, isn't it? Like, 
we have to save the world, but in order to do that, we're going to really fuck up a bunch of kids. It's, yeah, it does. It squares very strangely. It's also really hard to place any of the coaching team in this book, mainly because nobody gives one single shit about Ender, or, or any of the other kids for that matter, uh, but only what he can do for them. What, what he is, is, he's a tool, as he's sort of said before. But Ted firmly believes that success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these men be the best on and off the field, um, be the best versions of themselves on and off the field, I mean, Graf literally goes out of his way to make Ender's life and all the other kids' lives harder just to produce the best possible outcome for him or for the military, an example. So, like, it's really hard to put somebody in the coaching team. I suppose what you could say... I suppose there's only really one person that we could actually compare Graf or any of the other sort of military leaders in Ender's game to, and that would possibly be Nate. Because we've seen the way Nate coaches and we've seen how he tends to do it from a negative place, calling Colin an adult or getting frustrated with people. Or genuinely, what he did to Colin was very similar to what Graf did to Ender. The difference is Graf did it to get a result and Nate just did it to hurt someone. So you can see why I can't really place anybody on the coaching staff. Put it this way, Coach Beard is far too nice to be like this. I promise you, he's so nice. I'm saying that because I'm really wanting a decent Christmas present from him this year. That, that'd be good. Yeah. I mean, the hat's nice and everything, but, like, you know, I could have got one of them for free anyway. So, Marita says that one really stark contrast between Ender in the novel and Sam in the show is how they're encouraged to engage or not with family members and community. In the novel, you have this idea of a gifted kid who is deliberately separated from his, from his family so that he could be of better use for the purpose of the adults who controlled him. Exactly, yeah. He's intentionally isolated from and set up an antagonistic relationship with his peers because of the belief that that's the only way he can reach his true potential. The adults in charge see it as the only way to make sure they can use him for war in the way that they want to. And Sam... Another talented kid far from home feels isolated but is very deliberately included and cared about, especially by Ted, who goes out of his way to make him feel loved on his birthday. He has a strong relationship with his family, particularly his father, and Ted is all about team building. As a result of these adult interventions, Ender struggles to make friends, while Sam has a good support network built up around him. This was a question I, want, I, I wanted to try and answer, and I'm not sure if I did, was that is Ender a better fighter when he has what he would consider friends um, than he is when he is isolated and ostracised? Because from the way that I read it, certainly it was better for Ender that he fought with friends, um, you know, and... We've already discussed that what's right for Ender wasn't really the, the sort of point of, of the military's intention with him. Marita goes on to say, This inclusion and care that Sam experiences help him to resist being used in the same way that Ender was. As we see repeatedly, the willingness to oppose Dubai oil, his choosing not to be lured away to another team, and arguably his ability to assert his independence from a romantic relationship with Rebecca. And if that contrast is an intentional one by the writers, and she says she does not pretend to read anyone's mind, it's a great way to show how positive and deliberate rejection of the sum of the more toxic aspects of masculinity can be in a young man's development. Fully agreed. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well what we have to look at is with Sam, when Ted arrived, Sam wasn't in the right position on the field for his skills. And we saw that when Ted moved him 
to a position more like Jamie's. I don't know anything about football. Hold on. When Sam, when when Ted arrived and Sam was in the wrong position, or not the wrong position, but certainly the position that he was in on the field was not working for him, and and he couldn't really shine. But Ted saw the possibility and the capability within him. And then when when Jamie leaves and Sam sort of takes over his position, really, um, so it's. Yeah, kindness is sort of the way to do it. Ted used his instincts about people to see how best to coach them. And I think, yeah, that's excellent. It's really funny that at the start of the story, we see those that monitor Ender, underestimate him because he is too malleable, too willing to submerge himself in somebody else's will. And somebody replies, not if the other person is his enemy. I think that Sam does share a, a, a similar path to that, but in a, a very different way. On the pitch, Sam has to be a different person from what he is off the pitch. And I think that's where we see that Sam on the pitch will use um, tactics and aggression to get what he needs on the pitch. But when he comes off the pitch, that's it. You know, that's when the tactics and the games all stop. Sam is just Sam when he comes off the pitch. But also, I think that we're learning that Sam isn't too malleable or too willing to submerge himself to somebody else's will. And that's really great to see. And long may it continue. Marita raises a really good point here, and she says there are some echoes in his arc with Rebecca, with the idea of someone breaking free of a power dynamic to come their own person. Ender is used as a soldier by adults while he's still a child. He can't really grow as a person until he's broken free from that dynamic. Sam is an adult. I don't want to deny his agency in that relationship, but there's an undeni undeniable power dynamic given their relative roles, and he does ultimately break free of that. That is a really interesting point. Um, and I think it actually lines up with page 100, um, this kind of reminded me of page 316 um, in Ender's game, and I'll read that just now, where Ender says to his sister Valentine, I just want one thing clear, I'm not going for you, I'm not going in order to be the governor or because I'm bored here, I'm going because I know the buggers better than any living soul and maybe if I go there I'll understand them better. That's... It reminds me of sort of Sam saying to Ted, but actually to Rebecca, I'm not, I'm not staying for you. This journey is mine, and that's what that reminded me of very much. So, Andrea was quite interested in the Peter Valentine story. Um, she says I'm not sure it related much to Sam or anyone in the show, but it was interesting still. Which one was manipulating who? How was Peter controlling her? Again, what a cruel world they live in. All of them, not just Ender. Like this line. She had never seen him show such weakness. You're so clever, Peter. You saved your weaknesses so you could use it to move me now. She also says about Peter, he manipulated me, she thought, but that doesn't mean he isn't sincere. It's so dark and cruel and it made me sad. It's like the Goldilocks situation with Valentine, Peter and Ender. It's like too good, too bad, right in the middle or too malleable, whatever. But it does feel to me like these are all choices that Sam could take on his journey. I mean, sometimes you have to be a little bit bad to get where you need to go. And I don't mean that by making, like, moralistically bad choices, but I mean standing up for yourself. These war games, they do look a lot like football, relying on a team, tactics, smack talk, a hierarchy. It's all there. Andrea says, all the shadowy figures in the background manipulating and controlling things remind me both of the military and the owners of a sports team. I mean, they're, they're very similar in the way that they're structured. You know, you have to come up through the ranks in the military. You kind of also have to do that in football, to be honest. Um, Andrea goes on to say, obviously war and sports are very different, but the strange ways they are the same too. 
the relentless pursuit, pushing people, physical endurance, both required intelligence and talent, drive, thinking on your feet, single-mindedness. So I could see the parallels between Ender and these guys on the team. I was thinking about sports in the context of war. You know, we're writing a script and things. And it is, it is strange, but also it's not because I think sports are just a way for us to get that sort of energy out. You know, it is like a mini war, but, you know, hopefully nobody gets, like, shot. That's too dark. Andrea brings up this conversation between Dink and Ender, and she states, Dink is telling him about how they keep trying to force him to be a commander and he refused. Paraphrasing slightly here, but Dink says, because I won't let them do it to me. I can't believe you haven't seen through all this crap yet, Ender. These other armies are not your enemy. It's the teachers. They're the enemy. They get us to fight each other, to hate each other. The game is everything. Win, win, win. Ugh, now, this is maybe a deeply political cut, but that can that statement can be applied to society in general, if you like. Um, you know, we're just the players in this game and we don't really have much choice but to play, I think, is, is what this is suggesting. Is what this is the allegory for real life would be. Um, but it's true as well. There are some people that go out of their way and do things that aren't necessarily legal for the sake of a football game. You know, so it, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy how connected they both are. Dink goes on to say, we kill ourselves and the old bastards are watching, studying, discovering our weak points, deciding if we're good enough. I was six years old when they brought me here. What the hell did I know? They decided I wasn't right for this programme, but nobody ever asked me if the programme was right for me. Really good. Ender asks, why, why don't you go home then? And Dink says, because I can't give up the game because I love this. And, and Andrea says, oof, that hits in the gut, but also reminds me of our team. Roy's story about being picked up and driven away from his family to be a soccer player. How they can't give up and love the game. Andrea says there is a big sports analogy there. Uh, take away the enemy and kill him, you could be talking about soccer. What are you going to give up to play soccer to be the best? And that's true because, you know, as much as we can all have a laugh and a joke about footballers from time to time, you know, they do they do give things up to be the best. So that is a very, very good analogy. Isn't it funny how Sam and Roy keep overlapping? Like when Andrea said there about Roy's story about him going away young from his family to play football. And also Sam later borrowing Roy's copy of A Wrinkle in Time. Like it's they keep overlapping a little bit. I don't know why, I just think it's interesting. <sighs> One thing that I think could be applied to Sam, and it's not a great conversation, is that when Ender gets to the point around page 217 where he just keeps winning and they just keep changing the rules every time, more, keep adding more fights, more than I've ever had before, more than one fight on a day, like literally really pushing this guy to lose, but the, the, it's not working. And that's actually an interesting analogy for um, when you see any black person win anything. When you, when you see things like, you know, when a black person is really successful and really at the top of their game, there always seems to be a way that it isn't legitimate. For instance, Little, Little Nas X um, and his country song, which was top of the country charts and then removed because it wasn't country. So, you know, these sort of things, that, that sort of hit me a little bit. I think we can all agree that the main thing that Sam and Ender have in common is the amount of bullying that they have to deal with in their arcs, both physically and mentally. Um, and I think that's a good way to show a fork in the road. 
Like, Jamie, having been bullied and belittled by his father, decides the only way to protect himself is to just hurt everyone around him, is just to be the bastard, and then he can't get hurt. But when Sam is bullied, he doesn't look for someone else to take it out on. He takes it all internally, you know? He, he, it affects the way he lives. Um, and that's a really interesting thing as well, because obviously the fork in the road when, when you are being bullied is you're going to take one of these two two roads and we can see that Nate has taken the opposite road from Sam and later Jamie who who sort of went back on his, his ways. Um, we also see Ender question himself about his own behaviour. On page 163 we've got what does this have to do with being a good commander? Making one boy the target of all others just because they did it to me, why should I do it to him? And then on page 168, what am I doing? My first practice session and I'm already bullying people the way Bonzo did. It's, it's just, you know, that kind of self-awareness as a child is, is interesting anyway. But yeah, like, he knows what he's doing is wrong, but he knows that it gets results, you know. So he's weighing it up and he's in his head there. Um, Andrea brings up, uh, Andrea says that when Ender starts trying to create his own practice session with the younger boys and the intimidation starts, Ender starts to back off a bit and some of the kids are telling him not to give up. It made me think about the way the team was before Ted joined. When there was a ton of posturing and busting each other's balls, it was cruel and it encouraged negativity. The Richmond team, like young boys, need to stand with each other. The other crews that were not scoring and losing were not united. They let there be lots of intimidation and cruelty, but when Ender was able to bring a group together to learn and grow together and look at all he accomplished, well, there's my question answered. Thank you, Andrea. Yes, Ender seems to do better when he is in a team of people that he respects or cares for. So that's really interesting. You can see similar problems that both Ted and Ender face when trying to build the team. A tactic I doubt we'll ever see Ted use, unless we count Led Tasso, is the higher-ups deliberately antagonising the situation around Ender to make it as hard as possible for him to fit in, um, you know, to make him the target of the other bullies, to bring out the best in him. Mm. Mm. Does it, though? Because there's absolutely no consideration for Ender. I mean, really, the only thing they are worried about is the efficacy of their weapon. On page 119, Ender says, Well, I'm your man. I'm the bloody bastard you wanted when you had me spawned. I'm your tool. And what difference does it make? I hate the part of me that you most need. So we can see that, yes, um, with Ted, kindness not only has improved the team, but the mental health of the team. But on this side, yes, we may have a successful army, if you know, if that's what you want to call a group of children fighting on behalf of the adults. But yeah, they may have a successful army, but they don't have successful people. They have hurt people, you know. They, they've left people in their wake with this kind of treatment. And, and not everybody, and I am one of these people, responds well to the military way of being shouted at till you do things, you know. So, yeah, Ted's way. Simple, isn't it? Marita says there's a bit of a bullying parallel, parallel, I can't say parallel, why can't I say parallel? I can't say that word so we're just going to not say it this time and you're just going to put it in for me, okay? There's a bit of a bullying between Sam and Ender. With Ender the bullying is severe and life-threatening and the adults very deliberately stay out of it in some deranged attempt to fully develop Ender as a weapon. Graf purposely sets Ender up as the other in whichever group he's in. As a result of this othering, Ender, in, Ender ends up in a dangerous situation, literally killing his bully on not one, but two occasions. For Sam, his bully is effectively Jamie, although he's not even Jamie's primary target. 
Sam does get support from Roy in dealing with Jamie and initially from Ted when he objects to bringing Jamie back onto the team in season two. Sam ends up feeling betrayed though. Yeah, definitely feels betrayed and also assumes what Ted was going to do before Ted did it as well. So, you know, it's just like... Sam ends up feeling betrayed though when Ted brings Jamie back to the team, despite the concerns he expressed and the reassurances he got. It's a lot more disappointing than it is dangerous though. It damages Sam's trust in Ted in order for Ted to help redeem Jamie. That's true, but I must admit that I think Jamie's redemption would actually help Sam. You know, I think it's for the both of them. I don't think that would be a decision Ted would have made. Yes, he said Jamie should come back because he realised not all people have good dads. I think, honestly, I think seeing um, sort of Jamie have to face up to what he did is probably helpful to Sam, but I do see where you're coming from because it really did put him in a situation, you know, where he'd been promised Jamie wasn't come back and then the next thing Jamie's back. So yeah, I would imagine that that, that would seed a little bit of disappointment in Sam. But also Sam and Ender deal with bullies in very different ways. Like I've said before, Sam internalised it and it's affected his self-esteem. Um, well, it did. It's not anymore. His self-esteem seems to be doing pretty well at the moment. Good. He said himself that nobody made him feel as bad as Jamie did. We know that. Whereas Ender is physically aggressive. And yes, he justifies it by thinking, well, if they hadn't started it, he wouldn't have to finish it. But is that... Is that right? You know? Is that... It really feels like some of the kids bullying Ender just weren't anywhere near as good at what they did as him. And he was always capable of standing up physically for himself. I think it might have been better, though, to acknowledge that, you know, some people are just bullies and you're better than them, so just keep walking. In a situation with, like, Sam and Jamie, Jamie really did make Sam feel low, worthless, you know. With Ender, I don't know if those words from those boys would hurt Ender as much as as it was hurting Sam because he would see because I genuinely have this feeling that he thought he was better than them anyway you know so it's a difficult one um but Maruta goes on to say that in Jamie's first practice back with Richmond he goes on a, a run in a scrimmage and Sam tackles him hard and then talks a little trash I think he says something like don't bring that weak rubbish my way um the closest thing Sam does to metaphorically killing his bully interestingly there's a parallel oh I said it that time parallel Ah! With another bullying storyline. Jamie has bullied and encouraged others to bully Nate and Ted refuses to intervene, using Roy's indignation at the bullying to get Roy to step up as the leader of the team. Roy does, but there's an element of manipulation here. Ted, someone in a quasi-parallel... Ted, someone in a quasi-parental leadership role, is refusing to protect someone in his care in order for further development of someone else he is mentoring. Interesting. That is really interesting. I think there's definitely some sort of psychological thing that people seem to stick with, that bullies get worse if a parent or a teacher or somebody intervenes. And honestly, I think some people do just need telling that they're a twat, but it doesn't really make for an interesting sitcom. Um, but that is a really interesting point that Ted sort of... Mm, could we say manipulated the situation to improve someone else? Or did he just kill two birds with one stone? shall we speak? You know, like, let me know in the comments what you think. Yeah, let me know in the comments. Was Ted thinking about both Roy and Nate in that situation? Or was it one more important than the other? I'd be interested to see what you think about that. Ender often sometimes as well tries to undermine the bully with his wit rather than violence, um, such as on page 53 when he hacks the desk system and says someone smells like butt. 
Um, when Jamie returned to Richmond, Sam wasn't messing about and letting him know, like Marita said, who's boss now? You can't come back here and start all your old shit, basically, you know? But he never used his new position of power to bully Jamie. Do you see? That's the difference between Sam and Nate. Sam was bullied. He knows how incredibly horrible that made him feel, and he doesn't do that to anybody else. Nate was bullied, but I think the difference is Nate has always thought he was better than other people, regardless of the power he held. It's not till he's held some power that it's become a problem. And that's interesting because Marita said Nate does not recover from um, from Jamie's bullying. When Jamie grabs the vest for the first um, training session back, um, Nate gleefully observes they are going to kill him. Only backtracking and not convincingly when he gets a look from Ted and Beard. Nate having been subjected to that mistreatment as a result of what Ted was trying to accomplish is part of his supervillain origin story. Yeah. I get, I get that, because the whole time, like, everybody is really angry at Nate, and I get that, I really do get it, but Ted and Beard both kind of noticed Nate's sort of affinity for the nasty, you know, and, and picked up on it a couple of times, but nobody ever took him aside and said anything properly, you know, I think Beard said do better or something like that, so I think, yeah, we don't want to inventise him to the level where it's other people's responsibility that he doesn't bully people, but also at the same time, I think it's definitely something that could have been picked up on, considering that you've put this person in a position of power above others, it's kind of your responsibility to make sure that they're doing the job well, so yeah, I get it. Similar to Ender, I feel like Nate does think that he's better than other people and he feels that from a position of underdog when he didn't have the power for it to be a real problem, you know? Now that he has the power, he still believes that he's better and he's hurt from sometimes, I think, wrongly perceived interpretations of Ted's behaviour towards him because of his own low self-esteem. That's my thoughts on it anyway. But now that he has the power and still believes himself to be better than other people, it's a little bit more noticeable, kind of like his hair. <laughs> Andrea thinks this definitely could be possible because she says that she started the book assuming that this was a book about Sam and that seemed to be true initially. He was a kid who had talent, who felt alone and lost. But then as it went on, we started to see his anger, his struggles, his loneliness and I started to realise this book was about Jamie. It was to help Sam understand Jamie. Not that there was not anything to relate to Sam, I just started to see more of Jamie's tortured soul. I feel Sam was struggling to find his place, but he wasn't as tortured. I think Jamie had a hard life. I think Jamie was struggling more than Sam. Jamie made his life look easy, but it was far from easy. Sam had a support system. He had a family who loved and cared about him as a person versus him as an athlete. Jamie's family didn't care about him at all. Everyone else started to dominate his life as his fame skill increased, much like Ender. Ender was so lonely and so isolated. This is a really fascinating thought. And I never even considered it that way, but now that you've said it, I can definitely see Jamie in some of Ender's beliefs and actions. The fact we can see both Jamie and Sam in Ender also says a lot, don't you think? Sam and Jamie have more in common than they both realised. Um, they were a bit insecure and could have actually been helping each other through that. For example, when Sam apologised to Jamie for putting that cross in the wrong place, Jamie had the opportunity to there to really mentor Sam and help him and, and like sort him through some of the troubles he's been through on the pitch, but he didn't. He chose vitriol and he was nasty and it was hurtful. So uh, yeah, that's that's really interesting. But you're right, his own insecurities have made him act defensively, that's true. 
much like when Ender lashed out as well, you know, like Andrea says, it broke my heart how cruel they were to him. Again, this made me think more about Jamie than Sam. So yeah, wondering if Ted gave Sam that book to understand Jamie more than for Sam to adapt. We've got to really know how intuitive Ted would be at that point. You know, like Ted not really discovering that um, Jamie's dad was a bit of an arsehole till later, but did Ted kind of get the impression that Jamie was acting defensively as opposed to just being nasty for the sake of being nasty? So that's interesting. Andrea goes on to say, I just have to say, some of those scenes where they were pushing Ender relentlessly and never giving him a break, it really broke my heart. It made me so sad. So I switched mid-book from thinking this was for Sam and switched to Jamie. Maybe he realised that Jamie needed a little empathy and that Sam and Jamie could help each other. They both have things in common. Wow. Like the talent and the fear and the loneliness of the isolation. Andrea has highlighted a line here, and it's Ender knew the unspoken rules of manly warfare even though he was only six. She said this line made her very much think of the difference between Jamie and Sam. He could see Bonzo's anger growing hot, hot anger was bad, Ender's anger was cold and he could use it. Yeah, Bonzo's anger was hot, so it used him. Wow. Yeah. I mean, in this case as well, you'd sort of say that Jamie is sort of Bonzo because as anger is using him, it's it's taken over him. Or not so much his anger actually, more his sort of like his defence mechanisms are actually now becoming the problem he was trying to avoid. He's turned into his own father sort of thing. But the way Jamie's Andrea goes on to say that the way Jamie's drive pushed him and Sam was caught too much in his own head as fear and insecurities were controlling him. Jamie Jamie used his to be a better player. Wow, yeah, that is really fascinating actually. You know, Jamie, the only place that he was getting praise was on the pitch. So he put all his e effort and energy into that. And then, yeah, that anger and defence and things became part of, of what made him the player he is, which I suppose is more like Ender. That's really interesting. Nice one, Andrea. Perhaps if Dr. Sharon Fieldstone had arrived earlier, they wouldn't actually have had to go through any of this. It's interesting because we see a glint of understanding in Sam's eyes when Jamie's dad is being an arsehole to him at Wembley. Um, and I, when I say a glint of understanding, I say understanding because I don't think what Jamie did to Sam is forgivable and excusable just because of the upbringing he had or the life that he's had. He still has to atone for that. He still, and I believe he has. We've seen it in the actions for the Dubai Year campaign. I do believe that he, you know, showed in his actions that he is sorry. And funnily enough, that happened straight after Jamie spoke to Dr. Sharon Bealstone. Okay, so now for the hard question. Did Ted give the right book to Sam? Whatever way you look at it, it's an odd choice. As a you know, whatever way or angle you try to look at from it, it's strange, because it's a whole sort of book about the military and you know colonizing and like to give somebody a book on that from a white man's perspective. It's iffy. It's so iffy in my opinion. So I, I I'm interested to see what you've all got to say and Beck said at the beginning of the book that she was totally on board with Ted choosing to give the book to Sam. Sam like Ender was far from home, away from his family and they both missed their families overall. They were both underrated underdogs, at least by their peers. After a while they found their groove. We see this most with Sam in season two after Jamie is gone. Jamie is like Bernard here, only after he's gone Sam can shine. But luckily for us, Sam has not been built to be a killing machine. Um, 
But Beck says she started to get a bit concerned thinking about how Ender was really just a tool for those in power. That is something I never want Sam to be, and I don't think they'll do that to us, but it made, it's starting to make me feel icky about the Sam-Ender parallel. I don't think you have to worry about that. I don't think in this we can honestly say that Ender and Sam are comparable in more ways than they are non-comparable. Like There's really so much differences between them. Perhaps this could also be seen as a way for Ted to prevent Sam from going down the same route as Jamie. You know, like, don't you know, let the anger get to you. I mean, to a certain extent, any football player, in fact, all of us are just a tool for people in power. But, you know, in a football sense, yeah, you're, you're getting the most people making money up the top, really. I know exactly what Bex means. I do think we saw Sam take charge of his own life, though, when he refused Edwin Akufu's offer, but then found another way to keep in touch with his home and share it with others through the restaurant. So... I, I really hope that the, we won't have a Sam Ender parallel. That I hope this was more of a warning than a to-do list. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Bex goes on to say, Sam has this whole thing right off the bat about of imperialism, and rightly so. So I think the choice of a war book for him was maybe not the well-thought-out choice. I mean, it's a pretty white guy move, if you ask me, to not even pick up on the fact that part alone might not have the book resonate with Sam. And also, Bex pointed out something that I think is actually really important. We never see Sam read an Ender's Game, but we do see him reading A Wrinkle in Time, Roy's copy. So that's actually a, a, an interesting fact. I hope that that's, you know, poignant. Um, Bex said that Ender is basically a broken child by the end of the book, at least that's how I saw it, and they tricked him into thinking he was just playing a game when really he was fighting a war. Will that sort of thing into season three, I certainly hope not. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. I think that's a that's a really interesting question to keep in mind going into season three, actually. Good point. I asked Bex if she thought it was possible that this was intentional to show how even a well-meaning white person will never understand Sam's point of view. And she said that he is flawed and we learn more of that in season two when he misses some of the signs with Nate. That's true, yeah. Because he's understandably going through his own stuff, Beck says. So maybe he just missed the mark as a character, but then again, the writers did make Ted's favourite book, Fountainhead, so yeah, I've been warned about the Fountainhead, so we took it out of the list for now until we find out exactly why it's uh, Ted's favourite book. Now, Bex also says, now I know these books are not for one-on-one -on -one parallels for our characters, they're just meant to give a little insight into how Ted sees them in the early days, but I have to wonder if Ted actually finished the book? Or if he just read the first two chapters about being far from home and trying to fit into a new world. <laughs> yeah, good point. Bex pitied Ender. He was just a tool being used. He will never be able to live a normal life. If anyone treats my baby Sam Obasanya like a tool, I will riot. Yeah, I'll be there with you. Um, is Ted trying to say that Sam's the team's only hope? I feel like that wouldn't be his go-to move, but who knows? Hmm. And No, I th yeah, that's interesting, but I honestly don't think... Ted would think like that. You know, he seems to understand that the whole team is like a mechanical machine and if each parts of it aren't operating the best, then, then something flawed, something fails. So I'm not so sure that he would. Marita says that the thing she finds interesting about it is while it could be that people would assume that Sam is a talented kid and this novel would encourage him to develop his talent and be a leader, she, she thinks she can draw more out of it than that. And yeah, definitely. I'd be surprised if any of us really genuinely felt 
like this book fitted Sam perfectly. Marita says, if you think about it, one episode after Sam explicitly rejected the army man Ted gave him, because you know imperialism, it would be pretty tone deaf to give him a rah-rah sort of military novel. And the subsequent colonisation is some sort of leadership in the talent development novel. But as this paper points out, the process of Ender becoming increasingly militarised is one of loss. So maybe it's not the development of his talent that's the message here. Maybe it's the choices he makes at the end. Rejecting the values of people who have used him to kill. Becoming his own person and looking instead to understand the other and heal the damage of imperialism that Ted is getting at. It would make sense with Sam arc, Sam's arc. He put himself at risk to fight against the imperial sponsor that is exploiting resources. When Dink is saying about the um, not wanting to be a commander but loving the game, and he's, you know, it's the, he says it's the teachers that are the enemy, they're the ones, they make us fight each other. That has a very sort of ring to truth about our society, in a way, because it suits the people in power to have us all fighting amongst ourselves because then we're not looking at them. So that could be applied certainly to what Dink was saying about the teachers being the real enemy. Now, if that's the case and we want to apply that to Sam, one of the problems Sam had was that the uh, Centrillium oil firm were wrecking the Nigeria coastline where he is from. And the Nigerian leaders weren't doing anything about it, the people in power. I mean, yeah, when, he, when he rejects uh, Edwin Akufu's offer, there's a part of that where you think, well, yeah, Edwin Akufu is, would understand Sam. He's bringing a full team together of people from Africa, from all over the continent. Sounds great. But at the end of the day, he's still a man in an extreme position of power. So he would still be a tool. But it really depends on the way Edwin Akufu would, would have you know, coach the team, would you? I doubt very much he would have done it like Ted, given his massive tantrum at the end, but you never know, you never know. So yeah, I think with with Sam refusing that offer of Edwin Akufu's and starting his own way to connect with his home, I think that really like makes a great point that the smaller people are the people that make the difference. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we can have billionaires doing big massive projects that are changing the world but who are they helping what you know so sam while still a tool for richmond and rebecca i didn't mean that like it sounded but you know what i mean she is the owner of the team he still has it so much on his own terms because he knows he can speak his mind with ted and rebecca he knows he can refuse to do a campaign he knows he can speak up if he's not happy with someone coming back in the team. Could he have done that with Edwin Akufu? Would it? Well, obviously not, because I imagine he would have had the same tantrum that he already had. So the fact is, with Sam, he's taking the sort of power back to himself, you know? And I would imagine through the restaurant, he's going to build his own community with that. So, it's uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it's basically, if I was to connect Sam to anything in Ender's game, it is... Don't do wrong just for those who want you to do wrong. Don't lose yourself in the pursuit of something. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think that's where Jamie was headed. He was losing himself in the in the pursuit of it because he was so determined not to be the weak one, you know? You can let me know what you think in the comments. Um, it's been a really interesting conversation. I love all the different views. I really appreciate them because without them, it would just be me blethering a load of absolute shite. 
So if you enjoyed today's video, drop a like and remember to check if you're subscribed or not and keep an eye on the channel for the next announcement. Bye! Follow us on Twitter at Beards Book Club or send an email to us at coachbeardsbookclub at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. If you prefer the video version, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Coach Beards Book Club, now.